Jesus, thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. That although we are not perfect, we are perfectly loved and forgiven, perfectly accepted and brought right into your presence. Uh, Not by any good deeds of our own, Jesus, but by your wonderful love. And Lord, we could never, ever even begin to understand what you have paid to make this a reality for us. We deserve to be cast out of your presence, but in your mercy and in your love, you invite us into your presence. Wow, it is truly amazing. It blows my mind every time that I consider it. And God, I pray that you would help us have a deeper understanding of what you have done for us. I I pray that um, we would not have to focus and be Um, burdened with all the things that we feel we need to do for you today. But I pray that we would instead be blown away by what you have done for us. And that in our response, Lord, we would give everything back to you in praise and in worship and sacrifice. We love you, but not nearly as much as you have loved us. And we pray that you would help us to know it and understand it and believe in it and walk in it today. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to start today with a quote from John chapter 1, verse 29. When John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, the the first time that John saw Jesus uh, walking to him down at the Jordan River, you know, John's down there baptizing people and he's telling people all that uh, God uh, was, was calling them to repent of. And he sees Jesus walking towards him. And he says this, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that's Lamb of God. That's an interesting way to address somebody that you saw that he sees down, you know, by the river. What is this guy talking about? Well, John is referencing the Passover lamb. And today we're going to be talking about the Passover a lot. And the, um, What John is saying here, he's saying Jesus is the real Passover lamb. And how John knew that, I don't know. But the Spirit had somehow revealed to John that Jesus was the Passover lamb. And you're like, what is a Passover lamb? We're going to find out today. You see, Passover was a celebration. It was kind of like Christmas, you could say. Every year they celebrated Passover. And it was to remember how 1,600 years earlier, God had delivered the people out of of Egypt when they were slaves down in Egypt. So they had gone to Egypt and been saved by Joseph. They lived down there for 400 years and exploded in population. But during that time, they were enslaved by the Egyptian Pharaoh. And God heard their cries and he promised to deliver them. So he sent Moses down to deliver his people. He plagued the nation of Egypt 10 times. Um, and the 10th plague, the, after nine of them, they were no closer to being set free than they were at the beginning. But the 10th plague was that God said he was going to send a, an angel of death to go around and kill the firstborn of each family. And that would be the final plague on every house. But 
God said if you wanted to escape this judgment, if you wanted to be saved, God provided a way for you to escape this judgment on evil and wickedness in the land of Egypt. And this way was called Passover, where they would kill a lamb uh, and spread its blood on the doorposts of the house. And when the angel would see this blood on the doorpost of the house and the family inside, he would pass over that house and they would be saved or not, you know, they wouldn't be, um, their firstborn wouldn't be killed by that angel. So if you did this, if you killed the lamb and you put its blood on your doorpost, you would show God that you were trusting in his word. You were trusting in the blood of the lamb. And that is the faith that God was looking for to save them. Okay, he he wanted salvation to be by faith. This was all a lesson of how it even works today. And and so he's saying, if you trust in blood, that is the faith that God is looking for. You're safe when you trust in the blood of the lamb. You're going to see how all of this just fits in so perfectly with what Jesus is going to do for us. All right, so let's go ahead and read our text today. It is Mark chapter 14, verse 12. It says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they kill the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go to prepare that uh, you may eat Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. So, Jesus had a plan for his disciples on this day. Okay, this this Passover celebration day. And this was going to be a very special day with very special lessons and very special significance in his disciples' life. So, since we are also his disciples, uh, today we are also going to prepare our hearts for the Passover celebration that is coming. Now, I'm not talking about a a holiday for us. What we're talking about is, as we study through the book of Mark, the true Passover, the real crucifixion of Jesus, the Lamb of God being slain, is about to happen in our story. And we're going to take John the Baptist's encouragement today to behold the Lamb. We're going to focus on the Lamb. We're going to remember what this Passover was all about. We're going to set our minds and our hearts on what he has done and learn the lessons that he wants us to learn. You see, the Passover meal is filled with symbolism all about Jesus. And Jesus is going to fulfill all that the Passover represents, okay? It's all about him. So we're going to go back now and we're going to um, look at when the Passover was instituted in the book of Exodus and really get an idea of how these disciples would have been thinking. What are they, what they would have been doing and what they would have been thinking about and all that God was trying to uh, show them as they were preparing for this night 
of celebration, the things that they would have been thinking about as they reviewed maybe this text even in Exodus to get ready, to remember all the things that they were supposed to do to get ready for this Passover. So Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, is where God institutes this Passover and tells us about it. So Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. He says there, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if a household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall take your count for the lamb. You shall make your count for the lamb. And your lamb shall be without blemish, without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. So we're going to point out just a few things from this story that stand out to me, that that really show me uh, something about Jesus, that really teach me what God had in mind when he instituted this. See, God sees everything from beginning to end, and he saw all that Jesus was going to do. He planned it all out, and he set up this celebration so that when Jesus would come, we will be able to look back on it and see this wonderful um, teaching and, and illustration of what God was preparing beforehand. So first we have this lamb, you know. He says you need to pick a lamb, but then you keep it with your family for four days. You know, it says later that you're supposed to let your kids play with it. You, you're supposed to spend time with this lamb for four days. And that was to develop this attachment to the lamb. And after four, you know, your kids are probably, after four days of having a baby lamb jumping around your house, they're probably going to name it. You know, they're probably naming it Fluffy or, you know, Lambo or something like that. And as as they are growing attached to this lamb, it's going to be quite traumatic to see this lamb slaughtered. But that's what happens. So they, they get this lamb and then it becomes your lamb, he says. You got to take your lamb. And so that shows that this lamb is becoming personal and that the sacrifice of Jesus is a personal thing. First of all, you you have a lamb, it becomes your lamb, meaning you need to take Jesus as your own. And then secondly, he's he's called here a lamb without blemish. Your lamb had to be not a lamb that, you know, limps all weird or has, you know, bumps his head into the wall all the time. You're like, I'm glad we're getting rid of that lamb. No, this lamb had to be a true, truly uh, perfect lamb without blemish. And this, of course, is a picture of perfection, sinlessness, and the beauty of Christ. Uh, He is a lamb, uh, but he is also a lamb without blemish. blemish. He is a sinless savior. And that's the only reason why his death matters more than every other death, is because when he offered himself as a sacrifice, it was a sinless sacrifice. He didn't deserve to be killed, and his life, therefore, had the value high enough to forgive us of all that we've ever committed. 
All right, the next thing we see from our text is that you were supposed to kill this lamb and put the blood on the doorpost of your home where you were eating this meal. So the family was supposed to gather inside the house and and eat this meal, right? And then the death angel would pass over all the land and kill the firstborn children. And then those who were in the homes with the blood on their doors would be safe. And again, this is a picture of Jesus Christ. The only shelter anyone has against the wrath of God is the blood of Jesus Christ. If you ever want to have hope of being saved, it must be by faith in the blood of Jesus. That's, that is why the, the religions of the world all have a problem. They don't have something of value that can wash away our sin, except for the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing in all of history, the only religion, the only um, philosophy that can eliminate our failures and sins. His blood, the Bible says, washes all sin away. God says, His blood washes all our sins away. His blood is the only shield. And so as the people in Israel splattered this blood on the side of their doors and on the top of the door, they were saying, we believe in God's promises, in God's word. We believe in the blood of the lamb. And that blood was the protection for them against God's wrath against sin. It's not hard to understand. In fact, children can understand it. And uh, we don't need uh, to have a theological degree or, you know, have really think super deeply about it. God loves us enough to wash away our sins. But what it cost him was the blood of his own son, the true lamb of God. We see here that this lamb had to be roasted in fire. That means Um, that this lamb had to face the fire of judgment. And that's exactly the same truth that happened with Jesus. God is angry at sin, righteously angry. He must be angry at sin or else he's not a righteous God. He's not a right God. God must be angry at what is wrong. Everyone agrees when when you see something wrong, maybe in the you could take an example from our our days and the politics here in our days. When you see something wrong with the behavior of a certain group, you stand up against that because it's the right thing to do to stand up against that. Well, here, God has to stand up against sin and his standing up is called the fire of judgment. Okay. Uh, when he stands up, when he stands against something, it ends. And uh, it ends in a fiery death. And that's what happens with our sin. And this lamb faced the wrath of God's, the, the fiery wrath of God. And this happened on the cross. Jesus said, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that way... Um, or what was happening there is that God was pouring out his wrath for all of our sins upon Jesus. And Jesus endured that. God turned his face away and poured out his wrath on his son, even though uh, he did not deserve it at all. And that, and that's why this lamb was roasted in fire. And so 
very intense and good um, detail there. Then it said the family had to eat the lamb. Okay. What does this mean? What does this represent? Well, this for you and for me shows that it was a personal acceptance of what the lamb was doing for them. Okay. They were personally accepting it. It was not good enough just to kill the lamb. And, and the same is true with Jesus. His death on the cross is meaningless for you until you receive what he did by faith. You eat it is what that means. His death cannot save you until you turn to him and receive into your heart his life and his sacrifice, believing in the sufficiency of it. You know, if you listen to what his word says in like John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see that there's something we must do and that is believe. We have to cast our hope fully on him. And when I, when I, the illustration that I think of when I think about this is a coat hook. When you take off your coat, when you get in after a long day, you hang up your coat on a coat hook. And that act of hanging up that coat, you are, you are trusting and believing in the strength of that coat hook and you're putting your coat on it. And that act of doing that is called believing or faith. And it's the same with Jesus. Are you, are we going to place our faith in him? It's an active thing. It's like eating the lamb in this way. Jesus Christ is not just a savior among many others. He is the savior. His saving work is not accomplished in your life until you can say that he is your savior. He's not my dad's savior. He's not my family's savior. He is my savior. That's when you know that it's real for you. Let me ask you this question. Have you abandoned all other hope except the salvation that Jesus's blood gives you? Have you? Have you turned your back on every other philosophy except the precious blood of Jesus? That's where Jesus, that's where God wants us to end up. That's the whole point of the Bible. It's the whole point of every sermon you've ever heard and every, every moment you've spent in prayer and Bible reading is to get us there where we abandon all hope except for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Is the Lord Jesus your savior? Have you eaten of the Passover lamb? Romans chapter three, verse 25, we should read at this point. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. It says, Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. We'll talk about that word in one minute. God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So there, Paul, in Romans chapter 3, uses our term Passover 
to signify and link it to exactly what Jesus has done for us. He links it to the blood of Jesus, and he says that there's this thing that happens when Jesus offers his blood. What happens is called propitiation. When you believe in the blood of Jesus, what you're believing in is called propitiation. And propitiation is one of my favorite words that very few people in this world understand. The word propitiation means to satisfy the wrath of God. Okay? And so what that means is that Jesus satisfied the wrath of a holy, righteous God and all of his anger. He satisfied it. In other words, God poured out all the wrath that he had. He has no more wrath left. At all of sin, God poured it all out on Jesus. And so God will not be angry again because he already got angry at Jesus. And you can personalize this to understand what this propitiation means for you. God will never, ever be angry at you again once you believe in Jesus and put your hope in Jesus and accept Jesus and eat that Jesus work for you. God will never be angry with you again because he already got mad at Jesus for you. He already poured out all that wrath and that wrath has all been satisfied. There is no more wrath left. God is not angry because of the sufficient and full and complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross. God set forth Jesus as a propitiation by his blood. So the blood of Jesus shows that the propitiation really happened. The blood of Jesus shows that. And so anytime you are ever convicted of sin, anytime you are ever guilty and you mess up and you, you really have failed, you need to come back and remember the blood of Jesus. Remember that God is not angry with you and repent and return back to him and come back to him. And the blood is our way home. The blood is our way back. And he says it's through faith that we take this blood as our own, that we understand what this blood means. He says it's by faith. It's nothing that you do. There's no magic way to make this blood yours. It's by faith. Are you going to believe it and eat it symbolically? This Passover, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, the Passover is for us. It is for us. You know, there's this great hymn, this great song that we sing that is very familiar to everyone. And it goes, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're almost done today talking about this, but I want to ask this question that's, I think, really important. I'm hearing what you say. I'm hearing that the blood of Jesus is what cleanses me from sin, but what if I don't feel it? What if I don't feel clean? What if I don't feel like Jesus works, that his death on the cross matters? What if I don't feel it? Well, I'm going to answer that by saying it's faith that God requires, not feeling. God doesn't require you to feel it. God may not give you, give you feelings about this issue. 
what God works on is faith and truth. God provides the truth for us. And the truth is Jesus did die on the cross. Jesus is the Passover lamb. God declared him to be the Passover lamb. John said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. These are the truths of this universe. And whether you feel like they're truth or not, doesn't really matter. But faith does matter. Are we going to place our faith in it? It's not reason that God is looking for. He's not asking you to figure out how this all works. He's asking you to trust in the blood of the Lamb. It's not intelligence that God is, that God rewards with salvation. He's not asking for you to be smart. He's asking for you to trust in him. Another verse that we can read here is Hebrews 11.28. Hebrews 11.28. It says, Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he be destroyed and the firstborn should touch him. God says there, even the first Passover was all about faith. It's all about faith. That's what God's been looking for the whole time. That's what God asks for, faith. Faith means placing your hope actively in the word and promises that God has given. And Jesus's name is the word of God. So are we going to trust in the word of God, the person and works of Jesus? God gave his word that the lamb would spare his people and save them from judgment. And he still gives that word and promise today. Will we walk with confidence that that is the truth? He also gives his word that the lamb will save people from judgment today. You know, he gave it back then on the day of the first Passover and he gives it today. The lamb of God will take away the sin from anyone in the world. That's his promise. But I don't feel it. I don't feel it. Again, feelings are not important. Our last verse of the day is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And this explains to us why and how feelings are not as important as faith. And it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, guys, faith is a spiritual thing, not a natural thing. Feelings are natural things. And so God says here, you cannot understand and receive the blood of Jesus, the propitiation, all the wonderful work of Jesus. You can't receive it by feelings, by feelings. You can only receive it by faith. You can only understand it by faith. So then the deeper question is, how can I tell if I'm a person that feels like I'm saved or whether I'm really saved? And and there's actually a pretty simple way that you can know this. You see, feelings are aroused from outside stimulus, from outer outside of you, where the spirit receives truth on the inside of us. So my, if my spirit rises up from within me to trust in Jesus, I can know that's a real thing. 
But if I'm constantly looking for external stimulations to feel like I'm saved, then I'm looking for the flesh to accomplish what only the spirit can do. I can know that I'm saved if my inner heart, my spirit, calls upon Jesus and casts all of its hope upon the, the, the work Jesus did on the cross. My, my only confidence is in him, in my heart. If I'm looking for something to make me feel saved or good or confident, that's fleshly and it's never going to work. In fact, God will not let it work in my life. If I find the word of God living and speaking in my spirit, my soul, my heart, that's real. If I'm striving to make God's word work in me, that's flesh. It won't work. If I'm resting in the finished work of Jesus, that is real and spiritual. If I feel like I need to do more to make God's will happen, that's flesh. And that's the difference between living by feelings or living by the Spirit, by faith. If my trust is in Him, I can walk by faith and live by faith. If my trust is in me, it's a, it's a fleshly thing and it's based on feelings and efforts and works and those are not the gospel. The gospel is what Jesus has done for me. So we've spent some time today looking at the Passover remembering how Jesus himself is the Passover lamb. And we're going to see that come to a conclusion as we keep studying through the book of Mark as these weeks go on. You are loved. God has given you propitiation. He is never going to be angry with you if your hope is in what Jesus has done. Father, we, we place our hope in you. We place our trust in you and we love you. But it's all because of what you have done for us. It's all because the blood of the Lamb cleanses us and washes us pure as white as snow. We receive that. By faith we receive it. I don't feel, I don't know how it can work that something red can make me white. But Jesus, I can receive it because your promise says it is true. And God, we place our hope in you fully today for all the things we're going through. God, we know that you're not angry with us and you will never leave us or forsake us, but you abide with us in love and in mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.